Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Got too many things up here. Shuffle around. For several weeks now, we've been um, trying to talk about a hard thing, um, something that we don't talk about very much, and that's to talk about dying and, and caring for those who are dying, which we reminded ourselves is all of us, right? I mean, uh, I'd like to think I'm not dying, but from the day I was born, I'm, I've been dying and so have you and we work pretty hard not to talk about that and um, but it's true and um, a wise person uh, told me I don't know 20 years ago 15 20 years ago and I hadn't really thought about it um, he said you know our lives and our families and our church communities that there is shaped as much by what we don't talk about as they are by what we do talk about that. I hadn't really thought about that. Maybe you, you, you probably already figured that out, but I actually hadn't figured that out. I'm not sure I would have. But that our, that our lives and our families and our churches are shaped by the things that we can't talk about. I mean, you might think about your own families over the years. I mean, isn't it true? I mean, I think it's maybe true of my family. Um, growing up, family now, there's an enormous power exercised by things that we that seem like they're taboo we can't talk about. It gives them a kind of power over us. So at one level, what we've been trying to do this past few weeks is to sort of um, defang a little bit of that power, right? To give us permission to talk about something so that it wouldn't have quite the power over us, over our lives, over our families, over our congregations, just by being able to talk about it. This very common human experience, even though each of us will experience it differently, it's still common to all of us. But more than that, more than that, We've been trying to see if, is there a way, as Nowen suggests in his book, is there a way to even imagine that our dying might be what he calls our greatest gift, which just seems so incredibly counterintuitive, right? How, how is it even possible to think about our dying being a gift both to ourselves and to those even who care for us, who themselves are offering us the gift of care. How is it even possible to conceive that? So that's what we've tried to at least try to be open to and, and to see how this might actually be life-giving. This, this conversation and this, what he calls a meditation on dying and caring, that, that this might be life-giving. 
And life-giving not just for those who are dying, not just for those who are caring for the dying, uh, but for all of us who, at least for now, don't think of ourselves as dying. <laughs> um, that it might actually enrich our lives. So that, that's what we've been trying to do. And you'll recall that Nouwen's book is divided into uh, a couple of sections, uh, but he's sort of got these three things that he wants to say, these, uh, these three important gifts, both for the dying and those who care for the dying. And, and the first is that dying has this, is this powerful reminder to us and to everyone that we are, first of all, children, beloved children of God. Right, because in our, in our slowing down, um, that we are reminded what has always been true, but is so easy to forget, and that is our status before God is not about our accomplishments, our achievements, uh, what we can do. God didn't bring me into existence because I could do something, although on my good days I hope I can. Right? And so do you. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make a difference in the world. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do something in the world. There's a lot of beauty in that. But God's love for me, God's love for you, doesn't hinge on that. And this is a powerful reminder of that. It's easy to forget that in my busyness. But there's something about as, as we're more aware of our mortality and our ability, our capacity to do is threatened. It's a powerful reminder of God's grace, God's love for us, which is not bound up with our capacity for productivity, for doing things. That's a gift. And it should be a gift for me every day. Right? I, this is, this is part of the life-giving part. I mean, I need to be reminded every day when I wake up that even though there are things to do today, that's not where my identity is. My deepest identity is not as a professor, it's not as even a parent, or as a spouse, or as a friend. As beautiful as those things are, and they are good and beautiful gifts of God, but ultimately my identity is as a beloved child of God. My identity is in who God has made me to be. And to, and to be able to rest in that. Right? To, re to be able to genuinely rest in that. And not be anxious about, but what if I can't do? You know, because there's plenty of days. I mean, again, you don't... I mean, there will come a time in my life where I will be able to do a lot less than I can now. But there are plenty of days. I mean, you don't have to be a teacher to have this experience. You can be a parent. There are plenty of days you can be a teacher or a parent. It's like, I don't know that I did anything for the world today. Right? I don't know my kids. I don't know if my kids are better off today because I'm in the world. I'm not sure my students are better off because I'm in the world. You've had days like that. I had a lot of days like that. So I need that reminder on those days too, <laughs> right? I mean, that, and that's something life-giving about that, to be reminded of that. So that's the first thing. We are beloved children of God. The second thing is, is that because we are beloved children of God, that we are brothers and sisters of each other. 
God comes to earth in flesh, becomes one of us. Right? We, we are children of God, brothers and sisters. Jesus is our, our brother. Jesus is our brother. And that reminds us in another way that we're connected. We've talked in here when we were talking about vulnerability, about how deeply God has made us for connection. We're connected to each other. And yet so much about our daily lives encourages us to think about how we're, we're special, we're different. And again, there's a place for that. God has made us all different, unique. Um, and there's something to celebrate in that, for sure. But it's also the case, and the part that's easier to forget, is that our mortality reminds us of this deep connection. Right? Again, I don't know that you... Mortality is not the only way to be reminded of it, but it is a powerful reminder of it. In my dying, I am connected to everyone. All of my brothers and sisters who have died, are dying, will die. This, this is our lot. This is all of us will experience this. And that's that can be a gift, Nowen says. So it's, again, that seems so counterintuitive. But he's trying to remind us that you know, one of the things that a lot of us are anxious about in our dying is the, the feeling of isolation and the feeling of being disconnected, being alone. I think that's what a lot of us understandably fear. But to be reminded that there's this deep connection <laughs> That, that what I am going through, what I will go through, connects me with all of humanity. And that there's something beautiful about that. As hard as it is, there's something beautiful. There's a gift to be reminded that, yes, I'm different, but I'm also part of something bigger than me. Right? All of us are going this way. And then last week, we talked a little bit about Nouwen's notion that not only are we beloved children of God, brothers and sisters of each other, but we're also parents of a future generation. Um, and that in our dying, we have an opportunity to once again make this distinction between being productive and being fruitful, uh, which is not a distinction we often make. Um, that, just like Jesus says, that if a grain of wheat dies, unless a grain of wheat dies, you know, just, it's, just, it's just one grain. But if it dies, it becomes multiple, a hundredfold. And there's something to be reminded that what do we give ourselves to? What do, we give, what do I give myself to every day? Um, there's a kind of fruitfulness, um, a kind of impact of our lives that God, by God's grace, that God makes us fruitful over time. And a lot of that fruitfulness comes after our lives. And this is a beautiful gift to be reminded of. It's in my dying, the trust and hope that God will make my life after my death fruitful. And we all know 
We all know examples of this. We know people's lives that have borne fruit in our lives after they have passed, after they have died. Right? We wouldn't even be the people we were had God not made their lives fruitful. I mean, you just have to look at Jesus. Jesus looks like a failure. Right? 33 years. Three of it was in ministry. That's a pretty short life. Right? Again, it's one of those mysteries of God's uh, ways in the world. If I'm, if I'm God and I'm coming to earth once to reveal myself and, quote, do something, um, 30 years of preparation for three, and you're sort of stuck in a little corner of the world out of the way, and you end up being executed by an imperial power, doesn't look very fruitful. Looks like disaster, looks like failure. And yet, whose life in the history of the world has been more fruitful than that? Right? To state the obvious, we wouldn't be here. Right? We wouldn't be doing what we're doing. We wouldn't be having this conversation. We're not Jesus, of course, but God wants to bear fruit through our lives. And some of that, a lot of that fruitfulness will happen. And that's, that's a gift that comes through our dying. As we said last week, that encourages us to think, even in our lives right now. Am I living? Yeah, I would like to be more consistent about thinking, you know, when I wake up and I think about what I'm giving myself to each day. Am I giving myself to things today that I have reason to believe that God can use to bear fruit even after I die? That's an interesting thing to think about your sort of priorities of your life. Now, again, there's some things, I mean, there are certain things I have to do. I mean, um, I make my bed every morning. You know, it's just a task. Check it off the list, right? I'll take the garbage out to the street tonight, you know, so it can be picked up in the recycling. Um, so I'm being productive there. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure that's going to bear like enormous fruit after I die. Um, but it still has to be done. So I mean, there's all kinds of things that we do in our daily life that it's just kind of tasks and product. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what we tried to remind ourselves last week that. God didn't create us just for that, that our, our greatest fruitfulness comes not from our doing and our busyness, but from our willingness to be with each other, you know, our relationships, the things that all of us know that we deeply care about. And it's why when, you know, when most of us are more aware than we normally are about our dying, a lot of those things begin to fade in importance. Right. Um, all of us, all of us have a deep sense that I mean, if I went to the doctor this week and the doctor says, "Okay, Phil, I'm sorry, but you know, you probably got a month to live," we all know that that would that would all of, all of a sudden give me a great deal of focus. Like, what do I want to give myself to? 
and it wouldn't be the garbage, and it wouldn't, I might even let my bed go unmade, I don't know. <laughs> right? But if I did or didn't, I, I wouldn't be worried about it. Right? I mean, I'd give myself to the same things that you would give yourself to. Right? And, and maybe we wouldn't even have the language of fruitfulness. That's not necessarily the point, but the point is the language of fruitfulness maybe helps us see why we do care about the things we care about when we see clearly. And that's a gift, to, to, have, to have your focus refocused is a gift. And our dying and each other's dyings helps to remind us of what, when we can, what we should be giving ourselves to. And that those are the things where our deepest identity is in our, in our being with each other, in our being present to each other. The second half, so the first part of the book is, is now in trying to get us to, to realize that we really can't care for those who are dying unless we've come to terms with our own dying. So that's what, and it's understanding those three things. We come to terms about our own dying, recognizing we're children of the beloved children, brothers and sisters of each other, parents of a future generation. Then the second half of the book, he turns to saying, well, the, if those three things are true and we've come to grips with that and seen, at least in some sense, some maybe limited sense, how our dying might be a gift, then how do we help others? How do we care for others who are dying? And the, and the same thing goes, right? I mean, he goes through those three things again. So last week we talked about what it might mean to help those who are dying see themselves as beloved children of God and to trust in that, right? And so we talked about, you know, the sort of trapeze artist, right? That now I talked about, and I sent a little email out about that with the passage from the book, right? Uh, this notion that, you know, in, in our, in, in the period of our time, when it, we are reminded, you know, as in, in my twilight years, I will come to see that I can do less and less. What, that what's being revealed to me is something that has always been true. And that is, at the end, at the end of the day, I, I can do nothing. Right? I mean, God's grace is always ahead of me. Everything I do, even my doing, is only possible by God's grace. But the greatest, I mean, as, as I face my death, to, be no, to know that my, my task is to let, like the trapeze artist, is to let God catch me. Right? Is to open my arms, to <coughs> let, right, let, the, let the flyer fly and let the catcher catch uh, my job is not to try to make sure God catches me. It's to trust that God will. And, and how do we be present to people who are dying to remind them that they are held securely by God and that they, they can trust God to catch them? And again, I need, the, I need to hear that word in my living every day, right? You don't have to wait until you're dying 
to know that you need to be caught. Every day I need to throw myself and expect God to catch me. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the, the life of faith that we're all called to live every day of our lives. And so as, as we try to be with those who are dying and remind them of their belovedness, that they can trust God to catch them, they also give us the reminder that this is what we're all called to. This is the, the gift to us. How do we, how might we remind those who are dying and who we're trying to care for that they are brothers and sisters? That we're all brothers and sisters, that they're part of humanity. Again, now this may be the most surprising section in the book to me was, um, now it says we have a tendency, I mean, part of what at least a lot of people who who are experiencing dying, again, it feels so isolating. Um, and that's partly because if we, if we can't talk about dying, then it, it, there's this sort of general awkwardness with being people who are dying. Uh, it's not easy for anybody. There's a kind of awkwardness. But part of the awkwardness comes from our, our incapacity to be honest and to talk about it if, if the person who's dying wants to talk about it. But also, not just that. He says, you know, um, although now one talks about dying being a kind of second childhood, being going back and reminded of our incapacity to do anything, just like an infant can't take care of itself, we will become more and more needed to be taken care of, which is very difficult to deal with. Right? It's a real strike against our, our independence and our, and our, our pride in being able to take care of ourselves. But even in the midst of that, now it says, what we, the fine line that we have to try to walk <coughs> is, is allowing that person to be dependent without somehow isolating them from the rest of the world. And he, he offers a couple suggestions. And again, I don't think he thinks this is a formula, but I think he's trying to say, you know, use your wisdom as far as being with your family members, being with your dear friends who may be dying. But he says often, you know, we're, we're afraid to talk about anything larger in the world as if they might not be care about that. But he says, you know, there's something about dying that it, it can almost become claustrophobic, right? Because, you know, you're worried about your care. And he says that's all absolutely natural. But part of what that person may also want to know is that they're still part of the human family. They're not just a kind of isolated person set over here, right? Who doesn't have any concerns about the world outside of themselves or who we wouldn't, that somehow if we talk about anything else that's going on in the world, in our community, in our church, or anything else, that somehow we're not actually caring for them. But he's saying that, that actually might be what they need and what they want, right? They may not want a steady stream of people who come to them and just want to know how they're doing, right, physically. I mean, there's a place for that, of course. But they're mindful of that. Right? More than we are. But 
maybe part of what they need is to be reminded that they're not alone. They are still part and will always be a part of this humanity that we're all part of. And that their dying does not separate them from that. In fact, it connects them to that. Right? This is the one thing that connects all of us to that. So I think that's a really delicate balance. But just to even know that there's a balance there, right? To be sensitive to what the person that you're caring for, what they might need, what they might be open to. At least be aware of how isolating and alienating dying can be, particularly in our culture, where we seem incapable of talking about what is happening to all of us. And then Nowen talks about what about how do we be with people who are dying? How do we care for people who are dying? And help them see that they are parents of a future generation. And here, he again talks about this notion that the challenge it is for us when we feel as though our energies are depleting, um, our productivity is, is lessening, and we feel less and less valuable to anyone around us. We, we, I mean, this is one of our anxieties about dying, is being a burden on other people. Um, all understandable. But how, how do we help this person, this dear person in front of us, who's beloved of God, our brother and sister, how do we help them see that they, in fact, are, by God's grace, entering into a period of their life where God is going to make them fruitful beyond death. And here, I want to expand a little bit even on what Nowen says, because I think um, one of the things that we can do, and one of the things, this is one of the reasons I've, in, I've encouraged you in this year of vulnerability, uh, those who you were for that series, and the day we wrapped it up, one of the suggestions I had was that in your small groups, you might take some time to share something of your life story with each other. Um, I don't know if any of you even remember me saying that. You might happily have forgotten. Um, but I, I really think that's important because, I mean, one of the, we, we need to tell those stories to each other and we need to be witnesses of those stories. Because one of the things that all of us know is um, if you, it's for most of us, it's only in looking back, it's only retrospectively that we see God's hand most clearly at work. You know, most of us in our daily lives, I mean, I'm not, not saying that in your daily life you can't feel or sense how God might be using you, but I think we most clearly see how God has worked in our lives 
by looking back. And I think you could, you could all tell stories where that's so. You could all think of at least a chapter in your life that when you were living it, you might have very clearly said, where is God in this? You might have actually said, you know, where are you God now? It feels like you're absent. But maybe 10, 20, 30 years later, you look back and you see something that you could not see at that point. Uh, and you might actually have been able to see, and it might have been horrible. And, and it's not as though what was horrible isn't now still horrible. I mean, you still can wish that you hadn't lived through it. But God somehow was faithful and maybe even had brought some fruitfulness out of that really difficult time that you could not see at the moment. I can certainly think of times in my own life when that happened. Right? Um, the Hebrews have a, an interesting view of time. The Hebrew people, uh, you may know this, but I'm, I'm always struck by this. Um, just their, their very different orientation to time, which I think is so wise. I don't know that it's even built into their language. Um, the, their language for the past, something in the past, literally means something that's before you, in front of you. And, the fu and the, their word for that which is in the future comes from a root that means that which is behind you, which is exactly opposite for the way we talk, right? We always talk about the future being in front of us. We always feel like we're running into the future or stumbling into the future or whatever, however you're feeling on that particular day. Uh, but all the, all the images are about the past being behind us, right? And we think that's a good thing, right? Just leave the past in the past. Leave the past behind you and rush on into the future. The Hebrew people have some great wisdom for us about this. And this is one of the reasons I, why one of the things we need to be able to do, encourage people to do, again, not just when you're dying, but every day, and that is to realize that most of us are actually facing the past. In what sense? Well, because the past is what you and I see the most clearly. I mean, I, I know pretty much nothing about the future the shape of it, and you don't either. So I don't see it. What I see is the past. It's a little bit like being in a rowboat, right? We're in a rowboat, you're rowing, but you're, you're backing into the future, right? You're looking at the past. You're looking at where you've been, but you're backing into the future. And what you have to orient yourself is where you've come from. And there is great wisdom in that. This is why, and, and, being know, and knowing that you're part of something bigger than you makes this even more important. It's precisely as we look back on our lives and we look back on the lives of countless men and women of God across the generations, 
that we can see God's faithfulness that makes it possible for us to keep rowing into the future, not knowing exactly where we're going, but trusting. I mean, we've been rowing a long time, some of us more than others, right? But that's why it's important to look back over your life. And so one thing that we might do when we're trying to care for people who are in their twilight years is to encourage them to tell their stories, to look back on their lives, and to bear witness to where they see God's faithfulness, and for us to hold that for them, to be witnesses of that, that part of their fruitfulness going forward is their witness of God's faithfulness to them. They need to be able to tell that. We need to be able to hear it and carry it forward for them. That's part, not all, that's part of their fruitfulness. So we have to create space for that, for them to look back, for them to tell stories, for them to look back and see where, where has God's hand been at work. And again, you don't have to wait until you're dying to do this. This is, this is actually a, a kind of uh, long-standing practice in the Christian faith. Um, I teach a course every spring called Spirituality in Everyday Life. And one of the things, one of the requirements for the students is to write a spiritual autobiography, which is precisely that, is not just to tell us about where they were born, but to, to tell a story in 15 or 20 pages about how have they seen, when they look back over their relatively short life, okay, as they look back over their relatively short life, who are the people and places and events and experiences where they can see God at work in a way that has brought them to where they are right now? And most of those things, they didn't see. Sometimes they don't even see it until they write it. It's like, and the idea is that in writing this, they come to see, God, God helps them see things that they didn't see before until they stopped and looked and thought, yes, God was in that. And then I encourage them after they grab me that they should, they should consider doing this about every 10 years. And, and, and not just adding a chapter, because that's not the way it works. You don't just add a chapter for the next 10 years. What you do is you go back and look over the whole thing because sometimes the whole landscape is shifted, right? Something that you saw, you saw clearly before now looks different, right? And God, you see God working in a different way, right? This is a really important thing to do. This is, this is part of our lives. Which letter would go? <laughs> yeah. There's all these faithful choir members, <laughs> ushers, greeters. Anyone else had enough? <laughs> yeah. Some, somebody wanna somebody wanna be an usher? <laughs> somebody feel a sudden call to the choir? <laughs> so so this is a great gift. I mean well, this is one of the reasons I want you to tell your stories to each other. What, 
what a great loss it would be if all the stories in this room right here about God's faithfulness over time were lost. They weren't told. <laughs> no one was holding and carrying those stories. Right? So, so tell them to each other. Tell them to your children. Tell them to your grandchildren. Again, you don't have to wait until you're dying to do that. There's life in that. Right? There's life in that. that this, is, this is a beautiful thing. But it's, it's precisely the so-called threat of death that reminds us why we need to do this because it could be lost. This beautiful thing, this beautiful witness of God's faithfulness uh, might be lost and the fruitfulness from that. Right? Uh, a lot of your children and grandchildren, part of your fruitfulness will be in, in holding those stories and be reminded so that when they look back, when they're rowing, they can be able to say, well, you know, part of what I remember about God's faithfulness is how God was faithful to my mother or my father or my grandfather or my grandmother. That's part of what they'll be looking back towards when they're rowing, backing into the future, wondering if God is faithful. And they'll have your stories and my stories, I hope, if we tell them. If we tell them. And so one of the ways we, we create space for those who are dying is to tell those stories and to encourage them. And this is part of their fruitfulness. It's not all of it, but it's part of their fruitfulness. These are hard things. But there, I, I think, I think there's a way. I think now it's right. I think there's a way to see our dying and our caring for the dying as a gift, um, which shouldn't surprise us. I mean, if we're if we've looked back over God's faithfulness to countless generations, one thing we ought to be able to say is that. There is nothing that God is incapable of redeeming, right? As I'm rowing this boat and I'm looking back over thousands of years of testimony of who this God is, I can't see anything that God isn't capable of redeeming, including our dying. God has even taken has even taken what Paul in, in Corinthians calls the last enemy, which is death. God has even taken our dying and our threat of dying and somehow, by God's grace, made it possible for us, to, for us to see our dying as something that might make us more alive now. That's incredible. That God is able to take our greatest fear, our greatest enemy, the last enemy, and even this side of death, begin to redeem it for our good, for life now. That's it. That's, this is part of the good news. Part of the good news isn't simply that when we die, we will be in God's hands, although that is incredible news. But because that is true, we can live differently now 
We can allow God's grace and goodness to redeem even a part of death this side of death and to see it as a gift for each other. Make it possible for us to embrace our dying and to be with those in our midst who are dying and to remind them of their belovedness, that we're brothers and sisters, and that in our dying, God will, by God's grace, make us fruitful. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we, we confess that we have been afraid, that we are afraid. That our, the threat of death still hangs over us and we know that you want to liberate us, release us, save us from that. And so we pray that we might take great hope and trust and faith in looking back into the future, looking into the past and seeing your faithfulness, your faithfulness to the people of God, your faithfulness to us in coming in Christ, who himself walked this way of death, that God chose you chose to be our brother, even in death. And so may we take heart. May we be encouraged that you have taken the last enemy and that you are even now working to redeem it for our good, even now as we live. May that good news make us more alive today and in the days to come. We pray this through the one who conquered death and took away its sting, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Phil. You know, throughout my career, I have always been a great believer in participatory leadership. So this is your turn today to participate in the leadership. Um, I uh, want to thank 